Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Good morning, church. How are you doing this morning? Nice to see you all. I'm, I've had the chance of meeting one or two of you who I've not met before for the first time. If you are here for the first time and we've not had a chance to chat, then I'd love to say hi later. So I look forward to um, uh, meeting you a little bit later in the service. And also for those who've been around a long time, it's always nice to chat to you as well. If you have a Bible, turn to the book of Hosea. It's in the Old Testament. We are in the middle of a series called Relentless Love, exploring the character of God. And if you don't know where Hosea is, find Daniel, which is probably a bit more of an anchor point in the Old Testament and then go the next book along. Today we're exploring themes that are found in chapters 4 and 5 of Hosea and they find their fulfilment in the life of Jesus. So we're going to look in Hosea and the life of Jesus. I want to start by asking you a question. This is not designed to create trauma in your life but it is a question. Um, Can you think of a time when you have been wronged? Have you experienced injustice or maybe you've witnessed an abuse of power? Maybe you've encountered corruption or you've been the victim of a car theft or a burglary or fraud. Now, I'm not wanting to upset you, but I do want you to think about it for a moment. Did you get resolution? Was justice done? We're going to come back to that a bit later. Now for the 60-second recap on Hosea. If you've missed the previous weeks, you can catch up online. Hosea is this lived parable of love and betrayal, and it's also a collection of poetry, preaching, spanning 40 years of Hosea's life. And Hosea is light on historical details, and so not everything is written chronologically. So Hosea is addressing a changing situation in the nation over four decades. To give you a bit of backdrop, the nation of God's people has been divided into two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of Israel in the north and the kingdom of Judah in the south. And when the Bible refers to the historical people of Israel, when we're talking about the life of faith, that's distinct from the current political Israel. So during Hosea's lifetime, Assyria will become this superpower that will extend its influence in every direction. So listen out for Assyria and think superpower in the region. Hosea spoke about the rise of Assyria and its invasion of Israel. And then in chapters 1 to 3, Hosea has been living in the northern kingdom. He's a northerner. Any northerners in the room today? Hosea was like, he was a northerner. But then all of his personal challenges would have been witnessed. So the unfaithful relationship with his wife, that would have been witnessed by the community. But the following 11 chapters, he's become a southerner. He's moved to the south. Any southerners? A few of you? Yeah, a little cheer. (laughs) Um, That's the background. We're in chapters 4 and 5. Hosea's challenge is the people of God have broken covenant with God. They'd forgotten God's faithfulness and God's goodness. They're in this state of spiritual decline and there's this coldness crept in in their hearts towards God that's only going to go badly. Chapter 4 starts with the image of a court. The chapter heading in my Bible is a charge against Israel. The idea is that God, the faithful husband, is confronting the unfaithful bride, his people. God is setting out the case for divorce. He's confronting his people with the evidence of the unfaithfulness of their hearts. First he speaks to the people, then he speaks to the leaders specifically. Hosea 4 says this, Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, there's no love, there's no acknowledgement of God in the land. The people had rejected God's law. 
Any external reference to God's ways has been utterly neglected. They were ignorant, they were arrogant. Their passions were their guide. Their appetites took them away from God. The people had rejected the loving leadership of God. They were their own highest authority. They'd chosen independence. They'd chosen autonomy. Our word autonomy comes from two Greek words, auto meaning self and nomos meaning law. So autonomous is to be a law unto yourself. The philosopher Immanuel Kant popularised the idea that the moral law or truth is not out there somewhere, but it's within. It's not external, but internal. Moral law is not objective, but purely subjective. For us now, that's embodied in a cultural slogan, you do you, or you do what works for you. The assumption is that you always know what's best. That I mean, after all, you are the highest authority. <laughs> Here's the problem in Hosea. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Their rejection of God, thinking they knew best, was destroying them. They don't know his words. They don't know his ways. And this begs the question, friends, do we? What are we actually doing in our lives to get to know God? Now, we all get the fact that what we physically feed on will affect our physical health. There's no question there. But what we feed our minds with will very quickly affect and shape our values and our thoughts. And values and thoughts then show up in our actions. So our spiritual well-being depends on our diet. What we consume really matters. We need to feed on God's wisdom, on his truth, and on things that will actually nourish our soul. Psalm 19.10 says, The decrees of the Lord are just and fair. They're sweeter than the purest honey. I was listening to a podcast in the last couple of weeks, and it's um, Stephen Bartlett, who's on the right, an, an entrepreneur, interviewing Professor Scott Galloway, a marketing expert, investor, and coach. And Professor Galloway, quite an influential person, said this, I often meet young people who want to make progress in life, and they ask me as a professor for advice. The first thing I do is I ask for permission to grab their phone. I open up the app that reviews screen time for social media use and games, and I look at search history. I see what they're consuming, and I can tell them exactly what they are becoming. That can be quite a wake-up call. We really are. We really do become what we consume. Hosea 4, 6 in the Passion Translation says that this, my people are ruined because they don't know what's right or true. So Hosea has spoken to the people, then he focuses on the leaders in this passage. The priests had neglected their duty as teachers of the law. They were called to be the nation's spiritual educators, but they were failing badly. People were stumbling because they were stumbling. You stumble day and night and the prophets stumble with you, verse 5. God confronts them. It reminds me of Jesus' profound words when he spoke to the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. You're like blind guides trying to lead others. Both of you will fall into a pit. Having reviewed the evidence, God gives his verdict, his judgment if you like. And the judgment is this, because you rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Because you've ignored the law of God, I will ignore your children. Verse 7, the more priests there were, the more they sinned against me. Simply, more leaders wasn't the solution. They needed leaders who were more faithful to God. Friends, it's a weighty responsibility to lead God's people. None of us who lead um, for, that, for those of us who lead, we're stepping up to be judged more strictly, not just by people, um, but by God as well. So do pray for your sight pastors, pray for us, pray for anybody in leadership. 
This is a verse that focuses my mind. Not many of you should presume to be teachers because you know that you who teach will be judged more strictly. That keeps you focused when you're doing some sermon prep, I can tell you. <laughs> and it says in 1 or 2 Timothy, it talks about the track record requirements for those in leadership. Servants not seeking the spotlight. Character more than charisma. Godliness over gifting. So to aspire to lead, like we've just seen in the video, is a great thing. But it comes with high expectations to follow the way of Jesus. Back to the passage, we see a progression. We see God first explaining the case as if to a court, and then he expresses judgment on the people, specifically to the priests and leaders. Friends, we don't run towards subjects like judgment, do we? We can feel a bit uncomfortable. We don't like it. It's not an easy topic, but friends, it's in the book, and it's also in our conscience, if we're true. You see, choices have consequences. God demonstrated that he is both just and he's willing to judge. If we're indifferent towards God, he has implications for us and our relationship with him. Remember where we started this morning. I asked you to recall a time when you'd been wronged. It's not easy, is it? When that comes to mind and we think about the scene, we want justice, we want a judgment, we want a good resolution, don't we? We want that for others. But we're not so keen for it for ourselves when we've done wrong. Where does the idea of judgment or justice come from? Where does that inner sense of right and wrong actually originate? That very thought bothered the atheist C.S. Lewis when he was wrestling with big questions. Before he came to faith, he recognised this. Just as a line can only be judged crooked when compared to a straight line, so an act or a person or a situation can only be condemned as unjust when measured against a prior standard of perfect justice from which that thing deviates. So God is that perfect standard of justice. Hosea chapter 4, God sets out his case and he's going to judge. How did he, how did he judge? What's, what's one way of doing that? Well, one dimension of judgment shows up this way. Throughout the Bible, there's this concept that God, in response to human rebellion and persistent disobedience, gives people over to their own desires. Romans 1, 24, a bunch of verses there. It's often linked with God allowing us to experience the consequences of our own choices. God is a loving parent who's trying to teach his children, don't mess with fire. For a long time, you might keep pulling that child's hand back. But in the end, when you're not present, if they disregard your words... They have the freedom to touch the thing they're drawn to, the very thing they want. And they'll experience the consequences of that action. God's people are like stubborn children, disregarding the loving words of Father God. Persistent disobedience can lead to this spiral of moral and spiritual decline. If we turn our backs on God, we can get ensnared in our own destructive choices. That's exactly what's happening in the Hosea story. It happens in our story too. So how does that kind of judgment show up in this story? Let's just give you a few pointers. Because of their choices, the people are reaping consequences. God has given them over to their own desires. There's barrenness, there's brokenness, there's betrayal. Barrenness, verse 3, the land has dried up, the harvest has failed. Since they've looked to fertility gods and idols for food harvest, what they'll get is what those idols can deliver, which is absolutely nothing. There's brokenness. Since they've endorsed and engaged in sexual relationships with shrine prostitutes, their children will see and copy their example. And then sexual oppression, adultery and prostitution will be present in their families. That's heartbreaking. 
There's betrayal. It mentions Assyria. We talked about that superpower, remember? God has repeatedly said to them, hey, listen, they might be friendly right now. He's warned them, but in their ignorance, they will turn to Assyria for help. Little suspecting that Assyria will be the very empire that will ultimately destroy them in years to come, which happened. What they wrongly turned to for help turned on them and tore them to pieces. The words in chapter 5 are incredibly sad. That's chapter 5, verses 8 to 15. We see the people stumbling about, not acknowledging God, full of unfaithfulness, corruption, arrogance. The warning for us is for us to be careful what you turn to in times of trial. God's judgment was giving people to what they wanted. What you think, an interesting history lesson, that's all well and good, but where's the relentless love of God in this? The title of our sermon series. Well, the whole Bible speaks of one overarching story, and that story points to and finds its conclusion in the life of Jesus. These people have broken relationship with God, and God was just in judging them. But God in his kindness sent Jesus. Jesus came to establish a new covenant. We see the relentless love of God expressed most clearly in Jesus. Jesus is the bridegroom sent by his father to find a bride. And those who respond to the love of God in Jesus are brought into this relationship with him. We, along with everyone else who accepts Jesus, become part of his church. And that church is the bride of Christ. So we live in this new place. We live in the light of this relentless, faithful Life-changing love. This is a new arrangement. This is a new covenant that God established. And the central event in establishing that new agreement, that new covenant, is the cross of Christ. Romans 5 puts it well. Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we're still lost and ungodly. Through the blood of Jesus, we have heard this powerful declaration. You are now righteous in my sight. And that's all because of the sacrifice of Jesus. You will never experience the wrath of God. Friends, we can't reduce the cross or the love of God to any one simple illustration or explanation. The New Testament writers and witnesses to the cross and resurrection give a range of complementary perspectives of exactly what happened at the cross. In the same way you can view a scene from many different angles, the cross has many dimensions to its impact for us who choose to follow Jesus. I mean, for sure, it's an example of self-sacrificial love. We can all accept that. Jesus says, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than he lay down his life for his friends. But it's also a moment of spiritual victory. Jesus' death and resurrection was this demonstration of his victory over all the spiritual forces and powers that oppress us. It was a cosmic victory of Jesus over Satan and his kingdom. Hebrews 2 and Colossians 2 say the same thing, that when Christ died on the cross, he destroyed the power of evil and the evil one. Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. But in a mysterious way, it also shows that Jesus is paying a debt to God that we actually owe. Jesus himself said, for the Son of Man didn't come to serve, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, like a payment. So Jesus wasn't settling any debt that he owed to God because he was without sin. He was perfect. But Jesus paid on our behalf a debt that we owed to God. That's why Jesus' final words before he died were, it is finished. That's an accounting term for paid in full. But this gets personal. It's for you. Jesus said at the Last Supper, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the 
supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant. There's that word again, which is poured out for you. Romans 8 in the message says, God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem of sin as something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition. He entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. Jesus took our place. The Old Testament prophets in the, in the Bible, they look forward with hope to the coming of the Messiah. Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus arrived, said this, you know, seeing that moment, he, he said, he took up our pain. Speaking of Jesus, he bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was actually on him. By his wounds, we get healed. We, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or sin of us all. I mean, John the Baptist was around, and he saw Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was that perfect offering to God. John Stott, the British theologian, put it this way, At the cross... Jesus paid the full penalty for our disobedience himself. He bore the judgment that we deserve in order to bring us the forgiveness we don't deserve. On the cross, divine mercy and justice were equally expressed and eternally reconciled. I love what Billy Graham said one time. Billy Graham, whilst crossing the North Atlantic many years ago, said this, I looked out of my porthole. He was an evangelist and he passed away a number of years ago. I looked out of my porthole on the boat when I got up in the morning and I saw one of the darkest clouds I'd ever seen. I was certain that we were in for a terrible storm. I ordered my breakfast to be sent down to my room and I spoke to the steward about the storm. He said, Mr. Graham, there's nothing to fear. We've already come through that storm. That storm is behind us. If we've trusted Jesus, we've already come through the storm of any judgment that happened at the cross. Romans 8 in the Passion Translation says, The case is closed. There remains no accusing voice or condemnation for those who've been joined to Jesus. A few years ago, I met a man who's no longer part of our community. He was, he's moved away, but... Um, his story mirrored Hosea's story. He'd broken his marriage vows and had an affair. And his wife was devastated. His marriage was hanging by a thread. It was nearly over. And he was doing everything possible to mend his marriage. But the guilt and the shame that he carried was absolutely crushing. One Sunday, he came forward and he took communion. For the first time, he grasped the significance of what Jesus had actually done. This is personal. This is for you. Forgiveness lifted off. His shame lifted off. And the grace of God empowered him to move back towards the situation he damaged and to faithfully serve, love and honour his wife and rebuild his marriage. Hey, that's an extreme story, but we've all been a law to ourselves. We've hurt others, friends. We've hurt ourselves, we've turned away from God, we've done some dumb stuff, we've wandered off, we've made some bad choices when under pressure. We're all in the same boat. Maybe it's less extreme, but we're all 
and clean before God. Just um, just this week, did you plot the story in the news about Welsh water um, getting up to mischief? They've been uh, illegally spilling untreated sewage into rivers for the last 20 years. Did you catch that story in the news? Yeah, one of you did. <laughs> Watch the news a bit more. Um, it's, they, <laughs> um, anyway, they've been, doing, they've been getting away with it um, for 20 years. Now, if I was to offer you this lovely glass of water and say, oh, look, um, you might want to know where this water's from. And if I said, oh, this is, this is lovely Welsh river water, anybody fancy some? I can pretty much guarantee it's 99% pure. Does anybody want some Welsh river water? Even if I said it was 99% pure, you would say, I'll give it a bit, thanks. I'll have a coffee. Um, because the 1% sewage in there would mean it's the whole thing is, I'm not going to touch that with a barge pole. You wouldn't touch it. The 1% sewage changes everything. It's either pure or it's not. Same with us, friends. Our pride, our independence, our self-reliance, our autonomy, being alone to ourselves, changes everything. In God's sight, we're not pure. But Jesus is. Sometimes we're too stubborn, too afraid, too proud to admit what we really need. We need God's forgiveness. I love what someone said. Jesus is the one who dies for us while we're still his enemies. He's the one who prays, Father, forgive them when he's being killed. He's the one who loves, loves, and loves to the point of death. And even after he's dead, the grave couldn't stop his love. He has the gall to come sauntering out of the tomb on Easter so he can love us some more. <laughs> we see the love of God expressed profoundly in the life of Jesus. In Hosea's day, the blind guides were walking in darkness. They couldn't help the people with truth. Jesus is the only leader that deserves your full allegiance and complete trust. I love what he said. He said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, Jesus said, you won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. Like the people in Hosea's day, they took the wrong way for help. They turned, what they turned to turned on them. But Jesus promises something altogether better. He says this, turn to me. Come to me. When you're weary, when you're burdened, I will give you rest, true rest. Learn from me, Jesus said, because I'm humble and gentle in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. In a culture that says, you do you. We do Jesus. God is not surprised by our faithlessness or our rebellion. His love will never depend on our behavior or performance, thank God. We're secure in his love because it's rooted in his unchangeable decision to love us. And that love has been clearly displayed at the cross. Today, I think God is inviting all of us to lay down our lives at the foot of the cross. To fully trust Jesus that he's done everything needed to bring us home to God. He wants our lives to be changed by the relentless love of God. Why don't we stand together and begin to respond to God in worship. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. We'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings. We meet in multiple locations at multiple times on Sundays, as well as in midweek small groups across the city. More information on all of these can be found at our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and God bless.